0: Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. You don't get what you want, you get what you negotiate. Harvey McKay.
1: Welcome to the Kinky Nerdy Poly Podcast. This is episode seven. I'm G. And I'm M. And this is episode seven, where we're gonna be talking about getting needs and wants met in a relationship.
0: Yeah, so this was my poly topic that I had to choose. hmm And I thought that this was a good one to kind of do at the beginning of our podcast. Yeah. Um, or towards the beginning, because this is obviously going to be a really important thing in any relationship, Yeah. obviously in any relationship, whether it's a friendship or it's a partnership or it's a family relationship, whatever it is, there's going to be these exchange, exchange of energy. There's going to be needs and wants that need to be met. So this is applicable to anybody, but we are going to be talking about it a little bit in the context of poly
1: polyamory.
0: Po- I'm sorry. Yes. Polyamory. So we are gonna be try to be conscientious about also saying polyamory.
1: Yeah, I feel like for our listeners, generally when we're when we're talking about best practices in polyamory, I feel like this advice generally also applies outside of polyamory. I think I mentioned in a previous episode that, you know, I feel like the basics of polyamory are good communication, boundary setting, and transparency. And that's just that's just good stuff to have in relationships. Yeah. In any sort definitely. of close relationship that you have. And it could be friendships. It could be family relationships. And I know how difficult it can be to set boundaries in family relationships.
0: <laughs> Me too, G.
1: And, you know, communication is good for, I think, any sort of relationship, even if it's not a close.
0: Right, of course. Yeah. Close we always want to be communicating to the best of our abilities. Yeah. Uh, to the fullest extent. Unless um, you're a lawyer. Yeah.
1: Then you're trying to obfuscate as much as you can.
0: So lawyers don't listen in. <laughs> Just kidding. We appreciate lawyers who are listening in. That was so convincing, MBOT. <laughs> very convincing. I am very convincing, aren't I? <laughs> no, no one
1: will ever discover that you're a robot. <laughs> I mean, now it's been broadcast. Well, yes, but they only know you by your initial M-Bot.
0: And now they know me by M-Bot, G-Man. Alright, yeah, so I think that, yes, this can apply to all different kinds of relationships. In monogamy, in open relationships, in polyamorous relationships, whatever you want to call it. But I think that polyamory can sort of lend itself to people getting their needs and wants met in different ways. Because we don't have to, yeah, I mean, there's this comment. Uh, did you make this comment?
1: Yes, I think I was the one who did all the second bullets. The second bullet points,
0: Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing, too, is, like, people who are monogamous, like, I feel like people who are monogamous are maybe more polyamorous than they realize. Okay. Or maybe, I'm not trying to say that they are polyamorous, but, like, regardless of what style of relationship you're in, you are sharing your partner with other people and other things anyway. Like, your partner is going to have hobbies and friends, hopefully, I mean, this is a hopefully, hopefully your partner has friends. In a healthy relationship, In a healthy relationship, yeah, you're going to be sharing your partner anyway. So a lot of people are like, I don't like to share. And it's like, but you do, unless this is a really unhealthy relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think that polyamory just broadens, like, what are we sharing with? Or who are we sharing with? And in what ways? Does that make sense? I mean,
1: to a certain extent, but I've also... I've seen this dynamic of when when a couple forms, a monogamous couple forms, there is a tendency for monogamous couples to hang out with monogamous couples. I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen a couple times, you know, basically friend circles change because of the relationship you're currently in. So I don't think this is sort of broadly or widely accepted in romantic
0: american culture yeah romantic i see what you're saying now because it was it was taking me a little bit to understand what you were saying but I, i get what you're saying yes and i feel like that's the thing that i try to tell people even my monogamous friends who ask me for like dating advice or whatever romantic advice and part of me is like, why are you coming to the asexual? No, but it's like, you have to have independency. You have to be able to each do your own things in the relationship. And you're right, like, sometimes even our hobbies become our partner's hobbies and our partner's hobbies become our hobbies, and so sometimes we end up, like, doing all of that together. Mm-hmm. And then we, like, don't get away from it, each yeah. other enough. And then our friends, you know, we same thing, we start sharing friends, and then we can, like, never escape each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's horrifying. I'm sorry for anybody who feels like that's not horrifying it's horrifying to me okay i think space is good
1: yeah yeah i mean i think i think at this point it's fairly well recognized that having time to yourself is important a monogamous relationship i've definitely seen like before i was into polyamory like i saw relationship advice that was along those lines like sure i saw something that was like a take one hour to yourself once a week, a day to yourself once a month, and a weekend to yourself
0: once a year, at a bare minimum. Yeah, uh, that's that's a bare minimum. That yeah. does not sound like enough for me.
1: But I think another important part is self-knowledge is very important in all these sorts of relationships.
0: I think that this is the thing, though, and I, I appreciate you saying self-knowledge. This is true. But the thing is, is that a lot of people just jump into polyamory. Yes, and that they don't have the self-knowledge. They don't know how they're going to be in polyamory. Mm-hmm. Or even somebody who's who's monogamous but hasn't been in a relationship before. Mm-hmm. And they jump into a relationship and then they're like, they don't have that self-knowledge. That's correct. So you got to learn from mistakes.
1: I, I think the the difference being that there are cultural scripts for Monogamy, and there's not, yeah. And you can, they're not the best scripts. No. Because, you know, you watch enough Hollywood movies and it's like, oh, well, if I'm a... I mean, we were talking about this earlier. It's like, if I'm a nice enough guy, I'll get a girl. Right. Uh, which is not the case. Like, you have to put in work into a relationship. Mm-hmm.
0: And also, but, like, even if you put in work, you're never owed anybody. Correct. I think that this is really important. And I just have to say that for our listeners, like, no one is owed to you and you are not owed to anyone. Mm-hmm. And I feel like society makes that hard. Yes. To believe. Yes. Because we think, like, if we just put in enough work or if we just are intelligent enough or if we look, you know, a certain way that we deserve that. But that's not true. Yeah. So for polyamory, if we're going to, like, extend this to polyamory, this is about now. So we, we already, again, in an ideal, I guess, monogamous kind of relationship, you're probably sharing your partner with their friends and their hobbies and whatever else they got going on in their life. And their family, of course, if they are, have, you know, bio family or, or chosen family. But for polyamory, it's just now saying, okay, well, now that other time that they might be spending away from me might be spent with other partners. Other romantic or sexual partners. Other romantic or sexual or emotional partners. It it can mm-hmm. be all sorts of all over the map, platonic partners, whatever it is. And that, that can be good because we can get needs and wants met from other people. Yes. Just like we can get needs and wants met from our friends. Mm-hmm. We can get those things met from other partners.
1: I mean, I'm I'm given to understand this is sort of the basis of the relationship anarchy philosophy, is that all relationships are important, not just your romantic and sexual ones. So you can have important relationships with your friends that also require a time commitment. Yes. You can have important relationships with platonic partners but that's also a time commitment. But, you know, learning to value those other relationships and understanding what you get out of those relationships and what you give in those relationships.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think that that is a big topic also in the aromantic and asexual communities Mm -hmm. is that we do often talk about valuing those other types of things because either we don't experience romantic attraction or we don't experience sexual attraction or might be in the gray areas or whatever, and so I see a lot of dialoguing about valuing those relationships. Mm -hmm. And as a society, we do downplay friendships in general. Yes. But friendships give us so much, they meet a lot of our needs and a lot of our wants. So, you know, even, like, one good friend is, like, amazing. This also makes me think of, like, the shitty thing about being friend-zoned. Like... Yeah, it... It degrades what it yeah, means de- to be a friend. Yes, exactly. And it's all you know, heteronormative shit, too. But
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it definitely degrades what it means to be a friend. So I'm, I think I'm very fortunate in that um, I kind of grew up with a family that emphasized the importance of friendships. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that they didn't also. There was a lot of pushing for romantic relationships, and I'm sure that's true for a lot of people. A lot of people feel like their family is pushing them into relationships. Or, you know, who are you dating? You know, when are you going to get married? Are you going to have kids? Okay. Ugh. Exhausting. And I, and my family did a little bit of that. But I also found that, you know, friendships were really treasured. And that I really held on to my friendships. So I was able to, even from a young age, even though I didn't have the words for polyamory. And I think that this is where it might be different for us. Because from what I understand, like, you practice polyamory as a relationship style. Yes. And it's not really a part of your identity.
1: I think it is one of my lesser identities, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I think I
1: have, I mean, one of the things about being in these kind of communities is it gives you languages, it gives you words for concepts that you knew about, but you couldn't express because you didn't have the words for it. So I, in effect, practiced a form of polyamory before I was in the polyamory community. I, my, my very first girlfriend in college, you know, we dated, we were in a relationship. And at one point she came to me and was like, this other person has asked me out, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Uh, Are you okay with, I just go on a date. And I think much like you, I don't, I don't really experience jealousy in the way that's sort of portrayed in Hollywood films. And I was, so I was okay with it. Part of the reason why I was okay with it at the time, I was like, this guy doesn't have a chance. But I think if I had like that jealousy component, even if I didn't think the other guy had a chance, I still would not have been okay with it. So trying to be honest on the podcast here. But even later on, when uh, T and I were talking about how we want our relationship to go forward, the decision to go poly, uh, to go polyamorous was not a difficult one both of us felt like we did not have that sort of big jealousy component in ourselves but we we both took a lot of time to do research on it try to enter into polyamory on a smoother basis than how a lot of instead of trying to jump into the deep end of the pool like a lot of couples do
0: right so i mean that's not exactly similar to my experience but I think even from a young age, like even like as young as like 14, I kind of knew that I was quote polyamorous, you know, I didn't have the words because I knew I was attracted to different people at the same time in different ways. Like I had really strong platonic bonds with people mm-hmm. or kind of like romantic-esque relationships, but they weren't romantic in the typical sense and... I guess today I would call it like queer platonic. And I, I sort of had these experiences when I was younger that I didn't have the terminology for. So both the asexual community as well as the polyamorous community have sort of helped me to be able to find the words for that. But I do feel like it's a pretty big part of my identity because sometimes I feel like so overwhelmed by how much like I love people. Okay. And I know that's bizarre, maybe bizarre, but I just feel like.
1: No, I mean, I think it's an important part of your identity. Yeah. I guess for if, in case listeners are interested and they might not be. But in case they are, part of the reason why I consider polyamory to be one of my lesser identities is because I feel like if I was in the relationship with the right person, and that person said that they wanted me to be monogamous with them, I think I could do that. However, if I was in a relationship with a person, and they said, I need you to be not kinky for me, or I need you to be not a board gamer for me, I, I don't think there's any sort of relationship. In my opinion, then that's not the person for that's me. That's not the
0: person for you, right. Which I kind of like that approach, to seeing, like, what your values are. Or, like, what is, like, part of your core identity. Because, like, for me, if somebody were asking me to not be polyamorous, that would be a... Like, I'm sorry. That's a
1: non-starter.
0: I, I can't do that. Kinky, I think it would be really hard for me to not be kinky. It's yeah. Because that's a very core part of me, too. Like, I could not engage with kink with that person. Yeah. Like, if they were like, oh... You know, like, I just don't want to do kink with you, but you can do kink with other people, then I'm okay. Um, and then, you know, like, if somebody were asked me, like, give up my geekiness, stop playing the Tales games, no way! Because that brings me joy. Yeah. Yeah. So, these are all... This is a good way to figure out what your core identity is. Yeah. In those ways.
1: It, it, is, a, it is a good method of evaluating, like, what are the most important identities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for example... If somebody said, it's like, we well, can't be Catholic anymore. I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine.
0: <laughs> right. Sure. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. If somebody told me that I couldn't be Buddhist anymore, I've actually, like, had nightmares about that. Okay. I don't think I could do that. All right.
1: Well, this is important way to figure out, like, what identities are important to you.
0: Yeah. So, I think out of all the ones we mentioned so far, if I really had to give up video games yeah. for this person, mm-hmm. I could. Okay. I would rather give up video games than any of the other things I mentioned. Okay. But (laughs) that's just me. It would still be painful.
1: Yeah. But I think the important thing about these various identities is that you have different wants and needs for each of your identities. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, we have a kinky relationship. We have a little bit of a sexual relationship. But for the most part, I feel like our relationship is emotional. Yeah. And platonic to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Do you think I'm, am I wildly off base here or?
0: No, I think that's accurate. I mean, I think that you have described our relationship or at least your attraction to me. Like you have said, quote, that you were romantically invested. Mm-hmm. Do you feel romantically? Yes. Okay. So is that part of the emotional for you? Yes. Okay.
1: I guess in my mind, I... Those I use are... romantic and emotional interchangeably. I see.
0: Yeah, a lot of people do, for mm-hmm. sure. I think I separate them out a little bit. Okay. But that's called the split attraction model, mm-hmm. which is something that, again, in the ace community, we use it all the time, um, where we split up the different types of attraction like that, even mm-hmm. beyond sexual and romantic or whatever. And a lot of people, their romantic attraction just aligns with their sexual attraction. So if they're heterosexual- Mm-hmm. Okay, they're probably heteroromantic. Like, that's just how, like, the general population typically works. Yeah. But, obviously, that can be split.
1: I also wonder how much of that is is scripted behavior.
0: Right, of course.
1: Is it that way because that's how humans act normally, or is it that way because that's how we've been taught how people act through our media.
0: Right. So I think that it's a two-layer answer. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is pretty much how I've addressed any of these questions, any of these big questions about, like, attraction and all that. Is like there's one level which is, like, you are predispositioned Mm -hmm. for a thing. So, like, there are people who are, like, predispositioned that they're, like, straight or gay, I don't know, any of those things. They have the genes, the biology or whatever it is. They're predispositioned. But then we have the other level where it's like, but also your environment can have an effect on you. Mm-hmm. And people don't like to admit it, but sexuality can change. Sexuality is fluid. Yeah. And so if we're already predispositioned to be straight, and we get fed messages about being straight because that's what we see in our media, those enforce each other. Mm-hmm. So now it's going to be a very concrete sort of identity, right? And we're going to cling to it. We're going to attach to it. And whereas, you know, if we're predispositioned to be a different than the normal kind of, attra- you know, attracted to diff- something different than the normal kind of stereotypical model, then it's going to be harder because your environment's still going to be pressuring you, you know, in this other way. Mm -hmm. So we do still like internalize a lot of those messages. And so, of course, I have a lot of internalized heteronormativity, even in our relationship.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I'm very emotionally and romantically attracted to you Mm -hmm. and obviously very platonically attracted to you. We are doing this podcast together, (laughs) although sometimes, you know, it gets a little spicy in here. A little spicy? It does. It gets a little spicy in the closet, in G's closet. <laughs> That's <laughs> and why we're
1: hiding in it all the time.
0: <laughs> I think we definitely have a kink relationship. hmm And I think that, you know, we meet each other's needs a little bit on that level, but it's like, because you're more, you're a sadist. Yes. And I'm more into, like, the control. Yes. Which is fine, because I still like being a masochist mm-hmm. to you and to certain people. Yes. So I enjoy that with you. But I definitely also enjoy exploring the more control aspects with other people. So, I, you know, that's a, a plus of us being polyamorous is, like, I can have the freedom to go and do that with other people. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I think sexually, you know, we have a little bit of a sexual relationship. And I feel like personally, like, you know, we've talked about this. Like, I don't feel like I fulfill your needs and your wants there. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like you should feel free to get those needs and wants met somewhere else.
1: Yes. People have... Different levels of libido, different levels of sexual interest, different things that they're attracted to. I mean, it is entirely possible to be like, I am attracted to this one person because they've got really great legs. And then I'm also attracted to this other person because they've got those pectoral muscles. (laughs) So you can be attracted to different, sexually attracted to different people for different reasons. And you can get your sexual needs met in, in different relationships. I think, I think one way that we see this is in the, is in the swinger community, actually, Mm -hmm. is that my, now, if there are any swingers who are listening, you can correct, you can send us an email and correct me if I'm wrong. This is basically a person from the outside sort of commenting on what they know a little bit. From what I've seen, there, there are sort of different levels of swingerness, Mm
0: -hmm. swinging.
1: Yes. There is having. You're still having sex with your partner, but you're having sex with other people in the room, or your partner is having sex with somebody else, and you get to watch, or there is uh, swapping partners completely. Right. Uh, so there's different levels of of sexual swinginess, mm-hmm.
0: sexual swinginess, sexual swagger.
1: Okay, sexual swagger. That's
0: definitely not what you would call that, but no. Uh, But it it flows smoother. It it flows nicely. Oh, I'm coining that term now. So you can say if anybody, if any of those swingers are out there listening and want to use it, you say M told me, said in this podcast that it's called sexual swagger. Yeah, sexual swagger levels. Mm -hmm. It's a spectrum of sexual swagger.
1: Spectrum. Ooh, spectrum of sexual swagger. Look
0: at me. Look at all that alliteration. Oh, I love it. All right. Sorry but i I think this is
1: a it is a good sort of way of looking at you know getting your needs met in different relationships like it could be it's like all we want is to add some eroticism by like having sex in the same room as somebody else, or it could be it's like you have a much higher sexual libido than I, but I do enjoy watching you have sex with other people right or it could be it's like we both have sexual sexually high libidos, but we want some variety in our sexual lives. Right, you need to spice it up. So we're going to swap partners. And this doesn't just apply to sexuality, it applies to emotions and mental health. And I had a partner for a while, Jay, and I I was very much in love with her. I was very attracted to her, but she was not interested in board gaming. Oh. In any way, shape, or form. So I did love her, but you know, if I wanted to satisfy my board gaming identity. I had to do that someplace else. Unfortunately, I have plenty of friends and partners who are interested in me in my board gaming identity and wanting to fulfill that. I'm going to go with want. It's not a need, but it's a very important want. (laughs) No, you know what? Scratch that. Board gaming is a need. I like that social interaction.
0: Absolutely. You're entitled to this need.
1: Yes. So I have plenty of friends, and partners who are willing to satisfy that need of mine. It's like, I like, I like to board game with people. It is a fun social activity, and my partner Jay could not satisfy that, and that was fine. We were able to do other things together. We watched TV shows together. We were sexually, <laughs> We had sexual activities with each other. No, we had sexual intercourse with each other. Hey, how do I want to say this?
0: You did sexy things with Jay. Yeah, that, that sounds much better. I don't there know were why... Se- I, I don't listeners, know... I want you to know that G had sexy times with Jay. <laughs> that happened.
1: I, I don't know why I was trying to make it sound so dry and clinical. This is a 18-over only podcast, so I can just say it.
0: You can just say it. Yeah. Just live your best life.
1: So yeah, you know, Jay and I had sex. We were sexually compatible. We had lots of fun sexy times. We watch TV shows together, we watch movies together, you know, we bonded over a lot of things, but board gaming was not one of them. I don't know if you've got another sort of good example of that.
0: I feel like the only thing that, like, immediately comes to mind is, like, my Buddhism, like, my Buddhist practice. Mm -hmm. And, like, this doesn't really necessitate that other partners are there to meet that need, because I can go and meet that need on my own, or I can go to my Buddhist community, my Buddhist Sangha, Mm -hmm. and I can get that need met. And, like, I don't bring that, really, to my relationships, but, like... A does go with me to meetings sometimes, or like he does engage with me on a Buddhist level. He'll listen to me talk about it. But for me, it's like, I actually enjoy kind of having that, like, that's my thing kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I'm like, that gives me some other space where I can just like, A can never fulfill my Buddhist identity. Yeah. I have to get that fulfilled on my own. Yes. Through other means. So I think that's the only like kind of equivalent I can think of.
1: Well, I think if you don't mind me, Maybe expounding for a second. Yeah, go for it. I think spirituality is very important to you.
0: Yes, in a way that
1: it is not important to me. Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, Em, but Mm -hmm. I suspect a part of your relationship with A is that you share this. I mean, you've been teaching A about Buddhism, is my understanding, Mm -hmm. and so now you sort of have this shared spiritual connection, which. If I'm being completely honest, like you can talk to me about Buddhism all you want, mm-hmm. and I'm willing to talk with you about Buddhism. I'm never going to have that same shared right, spiritual sure, connection, absolutely. because spirituality is just not that important right. to me.
0: It's not a need. It's not a core yeah. part of your identity, like we were just talking about.
1: So I think it's good that you have a partner who has the same sort of spiritual, same sort of emphasis on, not the same, but a similar, a similar spirit spiritual yeah, interest as you do. Right. Because I think... That makes your life better. It
0: does, for sure. And actually, so I just pulled up, so we can talk about the difference between like needs and wants. And like, you know, you were just saying like board gaming is like a need for you. And for me, like, you know, Buddhism is a need for me. And I'm looking at like Maslow's Pier- pyramid. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people know like Maslow's pyramid. And so in the bottom, you have like your basic needs, and those are like physiological needs. So those are food, water, warmth, sleep. Then you have safety needs right above that, which is like security and and safety. Those are both basic needs. So the safety needs and physiological needs are basic. So we need those, of course. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully, you know, if in a healthy relationship, those things are being provided or are somehow being met and like not withheld from you. And then you know the next part up is psychological needs. So we have like belongingness and love. So like that's our intimate friend, our intimate relationships and our friendships. And then above that is esteem needs. So we have prestige, feeling of accomplishment. So that's like, you know, how are we excelling in our own lives? Like, what are those things that we really take pride in? Like, gee, you really take pride in this podcast.
1: I do. You
0: do. And you really enjoy it. And like, you, I think you have a feeling of accomplishment when you put out a pot, when you put it in an episode. Yeah. So that's like getting those psychological needs met, you mm-hmm. know, in some way. And then also, of course, your D&D campaign. Yeah. Um, that's also like a feeling of accomplishment. And then, like, the one at the very top of the needs is your self-fulfillment needs, which is, like, self-actualization. Mm-hmm. Of course, in Buddhist terms, we might call that, like, enlightenment, if you will.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, or, like, flow. hmm And that is achieving one's full potential, including creative activities. So, this makes me think about, like, your interest in board games yeah. so like something that i really see for you as like a way that you could get like that board game identity like at, to meet one of that that top need yeah is like make your own board game because that's like creative
1: yeah i mean we've, we've been talking about, about that. doing a, a a kinky rpg which you know we've we barely started talking about it but it it is it is a design doc on the internet it is
0: and so i think that like that's That self-actualization piece is so important. And I feel like if you're in a relationship, you need to still be able to go for that top piece. Mm -hmm. But where a lot of people fail, whether poly or or polyamory or monogamy, Mm -hmm. is that they get in the way of their partners getting to the top because they're kind of – it might become a competition in some people that they – you know.
1: I I think there's also – Especially in monogamous relationships, there's a sense that our goals should be shared. Shared, right. And we should not have individual goals. Right. Which I don't think is a particularly healthy way of looking at it. I think everybody should have sort of individual goals that they want to achieve. Right.
0: Yeah, that's super important. So polyamory can lead to that, although I have been in polyamorous relationships where everybody's self-actualization was not, you know, on the table. Mm -hmm. And so I also in this article, and I'll send this to you. So you have it, but they ha- have a list of questions that you can ask to check whether, uh, your desire or impulse is a need or a want.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So here's the list. Okay. So stop and ask yourself, is this something that I need in my relationship in order to be satisfied? Okay. Is this something that I can live without? If I don't get this thing, what will be the result? So I don't get this thing. What will be the result? Is this a requirement for a healthy relationship? so going back to those basic needs, Mm -hmm. am I being impulsive? Am I comparing my relationship to others' relationships? I feel like, and I'm going to pause there in the list, that one can be tricky in polyamory because sometimes we do compare. Oh, yeah. Between, you know, like, oh, this relationship is, yeah, better than that other relationship that you have or whatever.
1: I mean, sometimes I feel like some people set up hierarchical polyamorous relationships where it's explicitly like comparing relationships. Yeah. Like here, here are the primary relationships here and here are the secondaries and you can't help but compare those relationships because there is a label. There's now. a label, right.
0: And it's okay if you're consenting to that and you understand what that label means and mm-hmm. you want that label. Yeah. Because I know people who use them, but for me, they're not useful. Um, I don't like that. So then, okay. So we have comparing relationships and there's two more questions. Have I seen this modeled in a real-life relationship? Okay. I like that one. And I think this can go back to kinky things, Mm -hmm. because we've touched on, like, healthy versus non-healthy DS. Yeah. And some people, like, want to jump into, like, a DS relationship, Mm -hmm. but they might not have ever seen it modeled in a real-life situation.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, I was actually talking with one of my partners, T, about that. In fact, I add this as a show topic because I felt like it was that important, a topic to discuss about. I think there is a large gulf between the fantasy of a 24-7 DS dynamic and the reality of a 24-7 DS dynamic. And I think many people strive towards the fantasy without realizing how unworkable that is. Mm-hmm. I generalize the show topic into fantasy versus, you know, the difference between fantasy and reality and why it's okay to just deal with reality. Or I might shorten it when we actually get to the show, but I think, yeah, there's a large gulf between there is. the fantasy of certain situations and the reality. I think, for example, uh, for a non-DS example, I really like the fantasy of public sex. Mm-hmm. The reality of the situation, I do not want to have sex in public. Mm-hmm. It is just too nerve-wracking. <laughs> sure. But I love fantasizing about it. I'll certainly do role plays with partners about it. I don't think I'm ever going to do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't want to say never, ever, because oftentimes yeah. <laughs> never has become some days. But I, I think f- for at least the the near future, I'm never going to be doing public sex or not unless there's a very specific controlled scenario, which is not what the fantasy of public sex is about. Right. Sure. So I lost track of what I was saying.
0: That's okay. I have one more question. That's on this list. So the last one after, have I seen this modeled in a real life relationship? The last one is what tells me or shows me that I need this in my relationship. Okay. So I feel like that was a good list. and. Also, I think it's important to again review the Maslow's pyramid
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, because all of those at every level are needs; they're just different types of needs. Yeah. So another thing that we that you can look at when trying to identify your needs and wants is to look at your love language. Yes, love languages rather.
1: Love languages. So yeah. this is this is an important concept, I feel like. And so there is a a book. There's a book. Yeah. There's a book. The Five Love Languages. The Five Love Languages, uh, which details five different ways that a person can express love. And I think it is important for people to, to look at those love languages. There is a quiz on the person's website, which I should probably link in the show notes, uh, which you can take to have the quiz tell you what your love languages are. But the five love languages are acts of service, words of affirmation,
0: Quality time. Quality time. Physical touch. And buying gifts. Yes. Or giving gifts. Yep. Not buying gifts, because you can hand make gifts. I forgot. Sorry. Yeah.
1: So, I'll add this link into the show notes, but I think a fun way to visualize these different love languages is the burrito method of love languages. So, acts of service. You express love by making somebody a burrito. Words of affirmation. I love you like I love burritos. Giving gifts. You give somebody a burrito physical touch. You wrap a person up with a hug, like a burrito. And oh, what's the last quality one? time? Let's quality go get time. some burritos together. Let's go get some burritos together.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good one.
1: That's yeah. fun. So, you know, there are these different love languages and people express love in different ways. I think it's also important to note that you can have multiple love languages. Yeah.
0: In fact, like when you take this quiz, because I've taken it a couple times, every couple of years, I'll just check in and see how like my love language have changed. hmm. But they rank them. They give you, like, exactly how many points. Yeah. So it's so funny because I literally get zero points in physical touch. Okay. So that means, like, literally, like, what that means to me is it's not that I don't like physical touch. It's not that I won't engage in physical touch. It's that in terms of how I feel or express love Mm -hmm. on the receiving end or giving end, I don't experience love through that way. Okay. I experience other things through that way. But it does show, so, like, sometimes, like, so I have, like, very high quality time is my highest one. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's words of affirmation. Or No, I'm sorry. Acts of service is my highest one. (laughs) Then it's quality time. Then it's words of um, affirmation. And those three, like, are all kind of high up there. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, I'm going to be expressing love or I'm going to be wanting to receive love mostly in those three ways. But that doesn't mean that I don't dabble in other yeah. ways.
1: So I have not taken the quiz, but I am fairly certain about what my love languages are. I tend to express love in quality time and physical touch. Mm-hmm. I think, like tertiarily, I do words of affirmation and, and gifts. Mm-hmm. I definitely think physical touch and quality time are sort of the primary ways I express love.
0: These are also A's top two which A's top two Uh, love languages are also physical touch and quality time. Okay. Doesn't surprise me at all because you're the same person. I have a type listeners.
1: Well, actually, A and I are just the same
0: person. We just run between each other really fast. That's what they, that's, that's what G says, but it's not true. (laughs) But, um, no, A is very similar. And what I think what's nice is that even though physical touch is so low for me, Mm -hmm. because you and A both like the quality time, Mm -hmm. that's how I like get that met so that way i'm able to give back with physical touch. Yeah. So even though like that's not how i would necessarily naturally want to express my love, mm-hmm. then it's still like i feel comfortable. Yeah. doing that. Mm-hmm. And we aren't we're still compatible because Yeah. Yeah. You know. But if you're opposite on all of them, then that could be a problem.
1: Yeah. They they need to sit down and have a talk. Yeah. Which will probably be my next polyamory episode, communicating about communicating. <laughs>
0: We're going to just communicate about communicating?
1: Yeah. Okay. It's more comp. It's actually really complicated. All right, so the next bullet point is just practical experience, exclamation point, so... Oh, yeah. I think...
0: Practical experience. So we talked a little bit about some anecdotes, but... Because
1: there was a specific episode which prompted you to want to do this as our next... As your next polyamory episode. Topic, yes.
0: Yeah, well, there was something that happened recently, and... It continues to develop is the thing. And I think that this is something that needs to be said, too, is, like, people's needs and wants change. Yes. They just do. And in polyamorous relationships, you not – sometimes you not only have to be thinking about your needs and wants and your partner's needs and wants, but then also, like, your Mm metamorph's needs and wants. Yes. Because even if they're not, like, priority for you because you're not necessarily the one meeting them. Yes. They do entangle with yours.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're all part of the same polycule. Part, right. Though the more distant they are on the polycule, like your meta, meta, right. meta, meta metamore may not come real high up on priorities, but in your case, you're, your metamore.
0: <laughs> yep. So, yeah, so basically A's wife, S, you know, we all live together, and I've been applying to different programs, and I, you know, was told, okay, you know, they're willing to move with me no matter where... I decided to go to school Mm -hmm. Um, and then it came to my attention through a, that S was actually feeling like she didn't want to move that far away. She was like willing to move kind of close, but she didn't want to move, you know, across the country. Okay. So that came out like way later, like after I'd already done my applications and all that work and effort. And I wasn't upset. And I think like, that's something that for me is because like, I'm not attached to the outcome like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, yeah, I put in a lot of work into my applications, and it was kind of a bummer to be told this kind of, like, late. Yes. At the same time, like, S's wants and needs are also important. Yes. And, like, she's her own person. hmm And she has her own things that she prioritizes in her life. So we came to a, a healthy compromise so far that if I stay close, then we'll get a place that's a little bit closer to the school. Mm-hmm. But not that far away that, that she can still do the things that she wants to do. Okay. So... It was important for us. I know we'll talk about communication in another episode, but it was important for everyone's wants and needs to be voiced. Mm -hmm. Now, my only thing that I would recommend is like, tell people as soon as you know. Yeah. As soon as, and I feel like it's really okay to say to someone, my needs are not being met in this relationship or Mm -hmm. in this future scenario, my needs are not going to be met or my wants are not going to be met. And you can talk about like, can you compromise on it? If it's just a want, can you compromise on it? Yeah, but if it's a need, like okay, well then we gotta prioritize that. So it, for me, when I start to feel like my relationships are not meeting my wants and needs, I'll just be honest with my partners and say, "Hey, can we talk about this?" Yeah, and as soon as I start feeling that, so that way I don't build resentment or I don't kind of keep that inside, and and nobody likes to hear it. Nobody likes to hear that their partners are not meeting their needs.
1: Yeah, I mean it's not, yeah, you know, it's not a fun topic. It's not. Yeah, it's just not a fun topic to talk about, especially coming from a partner who you do care about, assumably care about because you're in a relationship with them. Yeah, you know, it's not fun to hear. It's like, look, I'm I'm not satisfied with the way things are now, and you may have been trying your best, but now you need to talk about what's going on and try to navigate a path forward.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you have any practical kind of experiences where you're trying to get people's needs and wants met? And
1: uh, Let's see. Well, T and I going to polyamory was kind of about getting our wants and needs met because T and I essentially entered the kink scene at the same time. So I'd been going to to munches and educational events for a while, but we met up and that's kind of the point that we both started going to play parties together. So when I first entered the scene, I had some very particular ideas about what I was going to be, what I was going to be doing, and as time developed, it became obvious that T and I were sort of diverging in our interests. T was getting much more interested into DS dynamics, and I was very much becoming aware that I was not interested in that at all. so part of the reason why we were doing research about polyamory was because we were aware that we were not satisfying each other's wants and needs in certain areas, especially as time went on, it became increasingly clear that T was not a masochist and I was a sadist. So you know that's a hard that's a hard thing to work around right um, when your
0: like kinks are like so completely opposite or not at yeah. all yeah
1: so we we did that research, and we eventually decided to start. I mean, we had already had other play partners. We weren't playing exclusive with each other in the king scene, but I think there's a significant step between playing with somebody and entering into a sort of longer d s dynamic with them. if that oh, makes it's sense, definitely different, yeah, so you know, we did a lot of research. Not 100% of the research was helpful because a lot of the research is stuff like, you know, the ethical slut or uh, more than two, which doesn't really delve into DS dynamics. So we realized that we would be navigating some of this ourselves because there was no podcast to talk about these things.
0: Wow, now there's a podcast where people talk about these things.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that wasn't forced at all, but... Uh, We realized we'd be navigating some of these things ourselves, but we were fairly confident in our ability to communicate with each other how we were feeling as we kept on going forward. And we were aware of enough of of the landmines that might possibly be out there that we felt like we could navigate relatively safely. And, you know, here we are five years later. And, you know, we're still going pretty strong. Though, again, our relationship has changed dramatically since then. Uh, You know, it started off as a romantic and sexual and emotional relationship. But now we've largely sort of transitioned to a somewhat romantic, but mostly platonic relationship. And it's still a very strong relationship. I've told T things that I haven't really told anybody else. Mm T tells me about her life. You know, I try to give her emotional support when she's having trouble with her other partners. And, you know, part of the reason why T values me is that, you know, I'm a fairly, fairly level person. You know, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of drama in my life. So it helps her to have me in her life and helps me t- to have her in
0: my life. Yeah, that's great. I definitely feel like seeing your relationship that it is definitely important for both of you. And it's also like really cool because a lot of people who are into polyamory might not even be able to see or, or understand like a platonic relationship that is like that important. Mm-hmm. So even within polyamory, there's definitely like almost this implied hierarchy of like a sexual Like, a romantic relationship. So, I I hear kind of, like, sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, well, I wouldn't mind if my partner fucked someone else, but I don't want them to fall in love with someone else. You know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I think that a lot of polyamorous people, if if they weren't aware of, like, how strong that platonic kind of relationship can be, then they would be like, well, that's not polyamory because... Or That's not a relationship or whatever because you know you're just friends, and I hate hearing that. I hate that because just
1: friends, just friends,
0: as if oh, friends aren't it, right. an important relationship, right? It's like, come on, yeah. So, I think that relationship is super important.
1: I can think of one other example that's a little bit, mm, I guess, it is an important example. So, I'm gonna talk about it. Okay, so I was in a relationship with K, we haven't used K, right? Whatever. For the purposes of the conversation, this is the only time I'll be talking with K- about Kay. Okay. <laughs> if we talk about Kay so in some other instance, it's a, a different, different K. person, yeah. So, I was in a relationship with Kay, and this was the first polyamorous relationship that Kay had ever been in, mm. and Kay had just transitioned into being a woman. And I was really sort of the first uh, romantic and sexual relationship that Kay had ever been with. Mm. And it was, I really loved Kay. Mm. And there's a part of me that still loves Kay. Sure. But as our relationship developed, basically about three to four months in, I realized that Kay was very unhappy. Mm. Well, maybe not very unhappy, but was not... Kay was unhappy enough that she wanted to leave the relationship, but she did not know how to end it. Mm. So I had a talk with Kay, and I was like, look, I think you're unhappy. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I'm sorry. But I think you're unhappy. Kay admitted that they were unhappy, that that she she was unhappy, and we decided that we should call it off because there wasn't really, you know, for whatever reason, the relationship wasn't working for her. And that was a case where it's like we, despite the fact that I wanted to continue the relationship, Kay felt like I could not meet her needs. And well, if I can't do that, then, you know, the relationship has to end. And so we parted ways amicably. And I think that is important skill to have is to, to know when your partner is not doing well, to talk and to be okay with the relationship not ending the way you want, well, not continuing the way you want to continue. Because yes, my needs are important, but my partner needs are also important. Absolutely. And if the relationship is not benefiting both of us, then yeah, you know, we need to talk about what are the ways to improve the relationship, and one of the ways to improve a relationship is to end it amicably, well before any bad feelings can develop.
0: Absolutely, yeah, that's important. And there have definitely been relationships where I feel like uh, I should have been able to maybe see the signs earlier, or you know, in myself or in other people. It's a learning experience. Yes. That being said, I have been on the receiving end of an ending of a relationship. I mean, it wasn't really a relationship, but it was like the end of one part of a type of friendship that I had.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And and we did end amicably, and I'm still friends with the person, but like we had a little bit of a DS thing on top of the friendship.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It wasn't serious, though. Like we were doing it out of friendliness, but I definitely wanted to explore a little bit more of that with him. Mm -hmm. and he wasn't in the place to provide as much as, like, even he wanted to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he was just honest that he was not going to be able to do that and that he was willing to continue at the same level that we were or we should just stop it altogether. And I was like, well, I really, like, feel like it wasn't just a want at that point. Like, I didn't just want it to be more, Mm -hmm. but it was like I needed to get that fulfilled. Yeah. And I didn't need it to be from him. So I decided ultimately that it would just be better if we just like could go back to like just not friendship. not just friends, but yeah, go back to to friendship minus the DS, and then I could get the DS fulfilled to the extent that I wanted it with someone else. Mm-hmm. So and actually it ended up being me who fulfilled that for myself anyway. That could be a whole topic, like DSing yourself or Yeah. Mastering yourself. <laughs> that yeah, that can be a whole topic.
1: Yeah. It'll be mostly you talking about right? it. <laughs> But you know, if you're if you are willing to to talk and listen to my to my questions and answer them, you know you have great questions. Yeah, I try.
0: Yeah, no, you can brag. G has amazing questions.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's a the the interview skill is a skill you have to kind of build up over the years.
0: How did you get that interview skill?
1: How did I get that interview skill?
0: See, I just turned it back on you because I asked yes. you a
1: question. Okay. Yes, I I saw. Uh, I heard
0: <laughs> you heard. Yeah.
1: Probably part of my attempt to, uh, become more socially adept is learning to ask questions. And part of the way that I sort of navigate social landscapes is to be a good listener. And part of being a good listener is asking good questions. I'm not always good at the asking questions part, but I try to be, you'll notice, I don't know if you've noticed them, but usually the larger the social gathering is, the more silent I am, which is why this is a two-person podcast
0: <laughs> yes instead and of
1: a six person podcast
0: and and also the closet factor
1: but there's also the closet factor. there's only so many people you can put in the closet right before the closet explodes
0: right. So a lot of people that would be out of the closet. yeah so I feel like we've touched on everything uh, you want to do the call to action Well first oh. uh,
1: so first off, as we wrap up this episode, I would like to thank the people who have sent an email feedback. Yes. Thank you so much. And I would also like to thank the people who have followed us on Twitter.
0: Thanks to our Twitter followers. It is
1: nice to know that I'm tweeting to somebody who might, who might see my tweets rather than tweeting into the void. <laughs> I'd also really like to encourage our listeners to send us feedback, to email us, to follow us on, to send us, uh, Twitter DMs. Sorry, I've not actually really used Twitter before, so I'm a little behind on the lingo or the jargon. You know, send me Twitter, send us Twitter DMs. Uh, there's going to be a little section uh, where I'm telling you how to contact us. There's also, I think, a form on our website.
0: There's a form on our website to contact us. Also, you can leave us a review on iTunes, right?
1: Yeah, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Because, you know, we're not we're not getting a majority of our podcast listens through iTunes. But, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, you know, you can leave us a review. You can... Share
0: with your friends.
1: Yeah. Share with your friends. I feel like, if nothing else, I highly encourage you to share this with your friends who might be interested in these kinds of things. Because part of, part of the reason why Em and I are doing this podcast is because we want to be informative and we want to be...
0: A bridge, a, a for, bridge people.
1: for people to try to enter into these various kinds of communities. Or just and even
0: learn more about them, even if they're already in them. Yeah. They can still learn about all the cool little niches.
1: Yeah. And lastly, I'd like to thank K and A. Well, no, another K. Hmm. <laughs> i like to thank my friend K and A for beta listening to our episodes and catching all my editing mistakes before they go out there. And with that, this is G. And this is M. Don't be afraid to love how you love, love what you love, and love who you love. If you'd like to get in touch with either myself or M, you can tweet us at KNP Podcast or email us at kinky.nerdy.poly at gmail.com.
0: You want to hear this awful pun that I said yesterday? What? So, um, I was hanging out with my friends, uh, well, my one friend, and um, we were, I was supposed to be hanging out with him and his girlfriend, and his girlfriend had to go to a funeral. It was really upsetting. And uh, for it was for her friend's dad. And um, I was talking with my friend, and I was like, yeah, I really miss her. I wish she was here right now, because, you know, and I know she has to go to this funeral, but it'd be nice to have her here. And he was like, yeah, dead people just getting in the way. And I was like, yeah, can't they just get a life?
1: (laughs) That is a terrible pun.
0: I don't even think that's a pun. It's not really a pun, is it? It's not really a play on words in that way.
1: I mean, it is a play on the phrase get a life. Right, yeah. Which I feel like that is a pun.
0: Really? Okay.
1: Look at you. Getting idiomatic expressions.
0: I did. I mean, it was, it was fun.